0: If you were reading ahead of uh, the next section, um, starting with verse 9, we're going to read uh, that together, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 here in just a minute. I read a story this week as you are uh, turning your Bibles or on your device to James chapter 1, verse 9, a story about a man who, is, who told his wife that when he died, he wanted to be buried with all of his money, sell everything I own and just bury me with all of my money. I want to go in my grave with every cent that is to my name. And the years went by, and finally he he did die before her, and and they were preparing the funeral, and her friends were really worried about her. I mean, that was going to be how she survived if they buried all the money together. And they're like, "Are you really going to do that? Are you really going to bury him with every penny that is to your guy's name?" And uh, she's like, "Don't worry about, don't worry about it." And they just got more and more concerned. And so she said, "Finally, okay, okay, I'm going to bury him with all his money. I'm writing the check." And I guess he got what he wanted, didn't he? James chapter 1 verse 9 and 11 is, like many other passages in the Bible, dealing with a topic that Jesus wasn't afraid to deal about. He wasn't scared to talk about finances. In fact, he talked about it more than a whole lot of other topics in the Scriptures that you thought might take more precedent than our finances. But James chapter 1 verse 9 is we're going to read our Scripture before we get started. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom fails and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their own business. I've entitled this message this morning, For Richer, For Poorer, And most of you remember those words from your wedding vows, right? You know, um, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and health, to death do you part. And there is in that moment as you gather with the person that you love and want to promise your life to, you bring your friends and your family together, you are joining together in a vow, in, in, in a sacrament, really in a covenant with each other that as long as you both shall live, you will make this promise to each other that no matter what goes wrong, you will remain faithful to the other person. I can still remember how nervous I was on our wedding day. I was convinced that no matter how well I had prepared, I was going to royally mess this up. And I was going to call my wife some terrible name, or I was going to forget the words and make a mess of it all. Thankfully, I was able to get through it all without causing any ruffles and I'm so grateful to be able to look back on those moments where we promised to each other that no matter how hard it gets sometimes, we're going to remain faithful to our vows that we made on that day. I think with that in mind, James, the book of James, and especially this passage and its practicality, just kind of speak to our, our hearts and our minds, especially in this passage, our heart, about how God feels about, about our financial standing and how we feel about it. Because how God sees us and how we see ourselves may be two very different pieces of the puzzle. We may have one view of our situation and God may have one very differently than the one that we have. But in human history, money has always been a big deal. The Bible talks about it a whole lot more than it talks about love or sex or parenting or conflict or forgiveness. Over and over and over again, the Bible deals with the issues of our pocketbooks and our checkbooks. Hundreds of times, the Bible points us back to our heart to make sure it's in alignment with the Word of God. And so I think that's what James is doing. He's not telling us to tithe, he's not telling us to. Give to the poor. He's saying that the way you think about your situation and the way you think about what you have will determine a lot about how you feel about God and how you feel about the people around you. And as Christians, sometimes this can be something that we might really struggle with. Now, in the day of the New Testament writing, there was something, that, and you may have heard about this, you may have not heard about this before. It's something I read about years ago and just kind of refreshed on, but a lot of Christians in the early church believed in the theology of money or sin called prenatal sin. And the the gist of this was that as a child, um, when you kicked your mom too hard in the womb or whatever it was that they thought you did, you sinned in utero. And so from the very moment of your conception almost, you were you were cursed. Some people would do this and some people wouldn't. And and so much of your life was, and the things that happened to you were based on whether you were a sinner or not. And over and over again in the Bibles, you can see, this conflict that went on, in the, and you see it in the book of Job. Remember what his friends came to him, and was the first thing they said is, what did you do to deserve this, basically? And in a culture that was very much pantheistic and very much believed in, in, the, in, the, in the forces of the gods, if. If you were good to the sun god, then your crops would grow. And if you didn't dance hard enough for the rain god, then you didn't get rain. And and so much of what they did was based on their performance. And if they were successful, it was because they pleased the gods and were doing everything right. And if they were unsuccessful, then it was because they must have done something to displease them. And many times in the church, this carried over into the heart and the life and the mind of a believer who was trying to follow God with all of their heart, They were tricked into this thinking that as long as they had money and had wealth, they were pleasing to God. But if they found themselves without, it must have meant that they had done something to make God mad and he had abandoned them. I think we see also in this passage a little bit of maybe a lot of our own culture here because he's basically saying to the poor, you're rich, and to the rich, maybe not so much. And how our culture thinks about money and how the church interacts with the culture I think is always a temptation for us to go through. And if you were to turn on Joel Osteen this morning, and and I'm not suggesting that you do, and if he's one of the preachers that you watch, I might encourage you to turn him off. But if you were to turn him on, he would be teaching you another kind of theology about sin and about money that if you just believed enough in God, you would be as rich as you needed to be. And that is not something the Bible teaches. And that's not what James is trying to teach us in this passage this morning. We live in a world today where stars are revealed because of their fame and their looks and their money and their talent and their influence. And especially, you know, I was looking the other day on, um, on a sports page for a news article and, and there was a link there that said, the 20th wealthiest stars in the NBA, and I, I just clicked on it, and then there was links to the 20 richest stars in the NFL and in hockey, and down the list it goes, and, and nothing about their family life or the good things that they had done. It was all about how much they were worth. And we live in a culture that we identify our success or our influence or the, the legacy that we have. Many times in our world, today is taught by what we have. Or what we've accomplished. And James says, I want you to think about things differently. I want you to have a biblical mindset about who you are and what you have and maybe what you don't have in the life that we live today. And I don't know, um, I always get a kick when I hear my kids talking about this singer or that singer and, and how happy they look. And I remember asking one of my kids one time, Do you know that they're on their fifth marriage and it's about ready to fall apart? I was like, money can't buy happiness. Money can't buy many of the things that we want to. Only God can provide the greatest needs of our heart and the greatest needs of our life. So James is telling us this morning that there is a biblical approach to joy, and that is through struggle. Remember the first passage that we read about in this book? Count it all joy when things go wrong, because God is doing something in you that he could do no other way. And so James is really saying to them, remember he's talking to his church, right? And they're, they're gathering in this plush palace, right? With hundreds of people and, and all the fancy lights and programs, right? No, they are scattered to the four winds. They are running for their lives because of their faith. These believers who some of them were taken up to the Colosseum and places of, of public influence and the parents had their children strapped to the ground with the lions at their feet, saying, if you don't give up your faith, they'll eat your kids alive. That's the kind of poor things that the church is going through. And James says to them, there's something that God wants to do in you that you can take pride in what God is doing in your life. He said in that first verse, in verse nine, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. When do you hear that in our culture today? That if we're in a low place, we ought to be proud of the fact that God is so good to us. That's not something that we hear very often. It is we ought to be discouraged and depressed and worried and frustrated because of what we don't have. And James is trying to help to remind us that it's not about what we don't have, but it's about what we do have that God is concerned about. And so he's writing to believers who have found saving grace, have found the Holy Spirit to be in them and a part of them. And he's saying to them who have very little or maybe no human possessions, that you ought to be proud of all the things that you have in Christ. Because in Christ you are rich indeed. And I wish that was a message that our young people could hear today. That's not about where you go, what you accomplish, what college you go to, what kind of a job you get, or what kind of a retirement account you have, or what kind of health insurance you have. It is about how much of God you have, how much of the richness of God that you feel in your own heart and in your own life. And he says, I want you to think about things differently than the world around you. And to the rich, you know, that's, that's the people that our culture looks up to, Right? the people that, that our kids want to emulate in many ways, the people that we want to be like someday. I remember when I was a kid, it was the phrase, I want to be like Mike, speaking of Michael Jordan. And I just want to, not Mike Tyson, I don't think, Michael Jordan. Uh, I don't think anyone wanted to ever be like Mike Tyson. He was a character. But I remember seeing that with my friends on the playground. I just, uh, my only dream in life was to be a basketball star who rich and famous and everyone could see how well I could dunk the ball above everybody else, and, you know, God works in our heart and life and leads us on. James also has a word for the rich, doesn't he? And he says, you know, it it might just be that tomorrow everything that you have goes away. So we see in this passage James speaking to two groups, to the poor and to the rich, and that each of us are going to go through our own trials in life and our own challenges And it's how we listen to the Holy Spirit in the middle of those trials and challenges that will determine how we end up at the end of our journey. So for the poor, the challenge and the test is, are we to go through this time of lack or of need, believing in the goodness and the promise and the presence of God in our life? And for the rich, are we gonna count on our riches to see us through, or are we gonna realize that everything we have is a gift from God And use it for his purpose and for his glory. I don't know about you, but personally, the thought of being tested as a rich person sounds a little bit easier than being tested as a person who is poor. But Jesus said it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And there is something about being a believer who is dependent upon fully and only the promises and the goodness of the grace of God that seems to have a special favor in the Scriptures. The people who have have lost it all, who have given it all, or who have sacrificed it all for God, that have the highest esteem in the Bible, that have the place of highest renown. It was only when Job lost it all that we read about him. If nothing had gone wrong, we would have never probably read about Job. But it was only when he lacked, only when what he had had been taken away, that we hear his story and see how God had worked in his own heart and in his own life. I grew up in a family that loves to play the lottery, and to my knowledge, they still do. Not in my house, but in the extended family that I have. And since I was young, we would come to Christmas, and I don't know what year it started. I was five or six or seven, you know, we'd get clothes and games and all that stuff. And then one year, all the adults decided to give each other lottery tickets. And it wasn't that you get some tiny little box. I mean, they would still put them in the clothing boxes. They would buy so many. And the, and the adults in my family would spend hours on Christmas scratching off the lottery tickets. And uh, And my grandparents would go you know, every week to the gas station when that lottery was two hundred and fifty million dollars or whatever it was, and and it just seemed to me as a young person that so many people were just enraptured with the idea of striking the rich because it would be the one thing that would finally make them happy in their life. And I just uh, read this week an article about some folks who had won the lottery—nothing in the hundreds of millions, but. You can look it up yourself, what happens to people when they win the lottery, and you can read this kind of information for yourself. But one lady won the lottery twice, year 1985 and 1986, and between her winnings, she had made basically overnight $5.5 million, and a few years later, she had lost it all in debt up to her eyeballs and was homeless. Another man won $16.5 million in the Pennsylvania lottery a couple dozen years ago. And now he has not a penny to his name and walks the streets begging for his next meal. He even spent jail, time in jail for firing a gun at one of the bill collectors that came to his door. He was over a million dollars in debt. Another lady borrowed against her earnings that she would get down the road. And by the time she was done, her four and a half million dollars of gain had turned into two million dollars of debt. And these people that thought that money would be the answer to all of their problems found that money was the beginning of all of their problems. And it's not something that I like to hear. I I would like to have more money than I have. And I would tend to think that if I did, things might be a little easier. But I read these stories and I look at the scriptures and I'm reminded of what James says is that it is not about what we have or don't have that will give us standing with God or make us happy. He says, believer, be humble in the circumstances. People in humble circumstances ought to take pride, not in what they have or don't have, but in God. And, and I've read that passage, I've, one of the first books that I ever memorized in the Bible. I think it was the first book that I memorized. And And I, and I think I missed this principle all the way through is that James is trying to get get us to realize that it is not about what we can collect or work towards that will make us happy. It is what we have received from God himself that will bring satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness and joy. And so I wonder this morning in your life and in mine, what have we received from God? When was the last time we heard the Holy Spirit speak to us? Do you remember back to the day that you were saved? Do you remember back to the day when you surrendered your all to Christ and the grace that he gave to you and the, and the promises that he gave to you? And so many times as believers we get on this, on this rat race of life and we become like one of the rats instead of one of the followers and we, get, we miss the fact that it is about who God is and what he has done in our life that gives us the peace That we need to have. So, that is the groundwork for the message this morning. There are just three ideas, and you'll see them up on the screen that I just want to share with you that I think jumped out at me from the book of James in this passage that is something that we can remember. And the first one is money does not equal personal wealth. remember showing up to the job site one day in Ohio and we had all just got paid by direct deposit and everyone was around the lunch table was asking how much their check was. And you've got apprentices who are, you know, are kind of at the minimum wage. And you've got guys who have been working there for a couple of years who the pay scale is a little bit higher than that. And then there's someone else who has been working there for four years. So they're at the higher end. And then you've got the foreman, you know, who has who gets to lord it over everybody, that he gets the top pay scale uh, of anyone else. And and uh, I was kind of participating in the active conversation, but I, in my mind, was computing, and I was kind of in the middle. And uh, so everyone was kind of going on the table, and then one of the guys said, well, my wife called me this morning, and we didn't get paid at all. We've got nothing to our name. We have no way to pay the bills, and I don't know what we're going to do. And I just, I remember talking with him after the break time was over and he just felt worthless and empty and scared and concerned about that in his own life. And he was like, I don't know what kind of a father I am. I don't know what kind of a husband I am. I've worked all this. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I show up every day. And the one thing I asked the company to do for me, they can't do. And if memory serves me right, it took him two weeks to get paid. And and, uh, I hope that what we were able to do as co-workers to help them out was a blessing to them. But I can just remember this, just this wave that came over him of, of this sense of worthlessness that because he hadn't provided a paycheck, he'd done everything he could, but it wasn't there that, that he, he's like, I don't even know if I can go home tonight. I don't know if I can look my wife in the eye or tell my kids that there's no food that's gonna be on the table. And I just remember telling him, I was like, they don't, that's not why they married you. Your wife did not marry you because of the paycheck you would make. Your kids do not love you because of the money you bring home. The kids love you because you're dad. And your wife loves you because of the promise you made on that day 12 years ago to love her in sickness and in health and for richer and remember the poorer part too, that it all is a part of the equation of a life that's committed to each other that is not based upon what we do or what we can accomplish or how much money is in the bank or how big our retirement is. It is that that we are worth, our standing before God is only be of what he can do for us. And this, I was reading this week, kind of feels a little countercultural to the rest of what James says, because remember our series is called about faith being authentic work, living out in daily life. But James is saying, hey, wait a minute, it's not about all the things that you can do, that gives you pride it is about who you are in God that gives you pride and joy and peace and a place of belonging in our world today. Paul prayed for his church in Ephesus, and he prayed this kind of prayer. He said in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And it was a prayer that the leaders of the early church prayed for their congregations, that their sense of worthiness, their sense of belonging, their sense of success, their sense of of value as a person was not based on what they have or what they didn't have. It was based on who they had. And to the depth that we pursued the grace and the passion and the word of God is to the depth of the sense that we feel loved by him and the depth of the sense that we feel like we belong in his family and that we know his love in a special way. I don't think the church has always done well in the United States and throughout history in valuing those in their congregation who may not be able to give very much to the coffers of the church, who come into the church with nothing to their name and nothing financially to give, but they come with hearts who want to serve and hearts that want to help and hearts that want to make a difference And I have to believe that God is more delightful in the heart that has their sense of mission and purpose from God than someone who just throws their check in every Sunday thinking that's gonna be enough. And James is telling us that the believer who has little ought to rejoice, ought to be proud of the fact that they are sons and daughters of the most high God. And we live in a culture that values our fame and fortune above everything else. And James says, if you want to have joy in your trials, don't feel bad about what you don't have. Give God the glory that you have him, that you have his presence in your life and have his salvation as a part of who you are. Can I tell you from experience, if you've ever been by the side of someone who's dying, I've never heard anyone say, I'm so glad about the size of my retirement account. They never said, I am so glad that I had a high-paying job. But I have heard them say things like, I can't wait to meet Jesus. I'm so happy that I've surrendered my life to him. I'm so glad that I'm a child of the king. I'm going to spend eternity with him and love him with all of my heart. And money never equates with our worthiness, but the Holy Spirit invading our life and changing us forever points us to a life that is worthy of the love and the passion and the glory of God. And it's okay as a believer to be poor, but to be known as someone who is rich in the goodness of God. There's a gentleman in my second church and I and he were, he only had a home because it was his children's home. He only had food because it was his children's food. He only had doctors because his children paid the bill. And I would go into his house as he was on kidney dialysis 24 seven And I would look him in the eye, and I would. I already knew the answer, but I would because I wanted to hear his answer. I would ask him, "How are you doing?" And he said, "I am the most blessed person that I have that I know, because God is in my heart, and someday I'm going to go see Him again, and I'm going to spend eternity with Him." And he was one of the poorest people I have ever met, and you know what? He was the richest man that I've ever met, because he found his sense of worth in God and in God alone. There's another thing that this passage teaches us and that our world needs to hear today, and that having money does not mean that we're going to be secure. And James is pretty clear about this. He says, you know what, rich folks? You can be like those amazing crops on the hills of Israel. When the rains come and the sun hits it the right way, in the cool days of the spring, those flowers are beautiful and they are lush And that property and that setting and your crops are the envy of the world of that day. And in those moments, you cannot have any better than that. To walk your fields and walk your land and to see that everything is going right. But you don't, and we know in the Northwest, that the weather can change in a moment. And the winds can change from east to west to east. And that dry wind, in a matter of two days, everything you had can be taken away from you. And you cannot find your security in what you're building in your retirement account. You cannot find a sense of worth and value or security in your job alone. You cannot find your sense of security and hope for the future only in material things. James is saying there's something deeper that God wants to do and build and make in us that will give us a sense that no matter what comes our way, we're going to be okay. And there's hope for tomorrow. And it's not in your bank account. It's not in your paycheck. It's not in anything that any man could print out for you or hand you at the grocery store. There's no bag big enough at the bank that they could send home with you that would provide the sense of security and safety that God can give you if you place and put and keep your trust and your faith in Him. I frequent a news page that likes to have kind of some of the outlandish stories of our day. And it seems like every week there's some kind of an article about the super rich trying to freeze their DNA so that after they die, they can come back again to life. You've, I'm sure, seen some of the articles about the super rich. They want to free, literally freeze themselves solid when they die. So then hope someday that they can come back from the dead again. And they will spend hundreds of millions of... Their own money, to do anything that they think they can do to preserve their own life, and I just shake my head and I was like, "When the last thing I want to do when I've taken my last breath is be frozen solid. The last thing I want to do when I'm alive is to be frozen solid. I want to be on fire for the Lord and to be serving Him and to be loving Him and be captivated with what His plan is for my life and what His Son Jesus gave on the cross so that I could live for Him and have my sins forgiven." And this idea that we can do and attain and achieve and gather and save enough to really be secure, James says in the blink of an eye, it can be gone in the last number of years, even in our culture, we've watched the markets go hither and yon, and people who had great wealth and businesses in the moment they were gone we kind of had that own experience here. We've been working with the food company Zacon, and they bring once a month at least food, and, and cars would line up down the parking lot um, for, you know, sometimes a half an hour or more just to get in line to get their food, and a really renowned company, and I, don't, I still haven't heard what went wrong. All I know is it went something wrong, and like that, their doors were shut. They're not open for business anymore, and they're just they're just gone. And no one even really seems to know yet why that has happened. And James is saying, friends, there's going to be trials. I mean, he's talking to a church who showed up for church one Sunday morning and uh, the authorities came and ran them out of town or however it played out for them. Maybe they were in their home sleeping at night and they found out they went to that church and they said either give up your faith or get out and they had to leave. And if anyone would know that in the blink of an eye, life can change forever, it's these members of this church. You and I could probably get up here and tell stories in our own life when our fortunes or our health or our relationships in the blink of an eye took a change or a turn for the worst. And James is saying that's just a part of life. And if you don't have an anchor that keeps the soul in those moments, then you're going to be blown around, remember, like he said, like the waves of the wind, tossed every which way. We need to pray for God and the wisdom that we have in that place. There's something else and it's the last thing I want to share with you this morning the Bible says to each of us in our own hearts and our own lives as we journey with God is that our real wealth or our real sense of worth is found in an understanding of our sufficiency in Christ. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 he says for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that his through his poverty he might become rich. Now, Paul is making a comparison between the riches of heaven, which are beyond our, I mean, we cannot even begin to count the value of the physical possessions and the spiritual atmosphere of living in heaven. And Paul is saying that that if that was Jesus' greatest goal, he was willing to give it up so that you could know the riches of his goodness in your own life. Jesus gave up everything that we could ever dream of having so that we could have him. And he set the example for us. And I've talked to a few believers who are just like, you know, I want to go deeper with God, but I'm just, I'm afraid of what he's going to ask of me. I'm afraid of the level of commitment that God really wants me to have. And and because, because of my career, because of my bank account, because of the direction my life is taking, I don't know how my family would go on the way we've been going, if if I give in and if I surrender to the plan and the will of God for my life. Remember when I felt the call to ministry? I was this close to joining the army. I had everything all planned out. I was going to join the army. I was going. I knew my profession. I knew what my retirement would look like if I did that for so many years and I had it all planned out. And then the Lord said, I want you to be a minister. And I said, what? I'm not gonna have any of those things, at least to start with. And depending on where I go and, you know, those things might change at each church that we end up serving at. And the Lord said, do you want the goodness of knowing my favor and my presence? Or do you want to pride all of those things on your own? I remember sitting in the pew um, as they had a silent time before the altar call, and this conversation going on in my mind basically said, Peter, do you think you can figure this out on your own and do all this for you or do you think that the God of creation who holds you in his hand and owns the cattle on a thousand hills can do a better job of providing for you and giving to you and meeting your needs than you can? You know what the scary thing was that I argued with God? It's kind of sick, actually, but we do it. All of us have done it at a time or another when God says, I want you to give this up or I want you to move into this ministry or I want you to let this go or I want you to step out in faith or I want you to trust me or I want you to take a stand or I want you to make a difference or I want you to make a change or be a part of a change. And we say, whoa, wait a minute, God, I'm not sure that's the right move here because of this and this and this and this. And we all have done that, and we all do that so many times. We have all the justifications in the world why God is crazy, and we have all the answers. We don't like to say it that way, but I said it that way for you, so you don't have to. I've said it to God in my own way. Lord, what do you think you're doing? And he says, well, hold on a minute. I'm God, and you're not. Think I got it. Why don't you trust me? I was thinking about that conversation that God and I had and that many of us have with God in our own tone, and our own way, and what it must have been like for the early church believers to have read this passage. He wrote to these people who may have had not a single earthly possession, and he told them, I want you to know that you are rich and you are blessed and you ought to be proud of the grace of God in your life. Don't look down on yourself, don't be downtrodden be happy. Count it all joy because God is doing something in you that he could do no other way. And in the middle of the greatest time of need in their life, James is saying, I want you to hold your head high because of who God is for you. Do You know that I love to meet Christians like that. I've met some Christians who just like to stick it in your craw that they're right, but believers who are, who are just, man, God loves me, and when no things are going wrong, he is in charge of my life, and I'm gonna keep trusting him. And these are the things that God has taught me as I've waited. God has taught me that I need to learn to be more patient. God has taught me that in the middle of the times where I think I have nothing, there are people around me who have far less than I do, and I can be there for them. In the middle of our trial and tragedy, God wants to give us a mission and a plan. So many times we could have been like some of those early church members that were tempted to do, just to kind of get around the fire and you know throw the ashes around and say, poor is me, I just wish someone would come take me out of this. And James is saying, when you feel like you're at the bottom and, and, and really struggling, to even know where your next meal comes from sometimes, there's a richness in simply having only God that no one else could know. My cousin went to a mission trip in Mexico, and this now the, the money values for this now are the average wage for the people that he was working with was a dollar and twenty-five cents a day, was their average wage. The most they would ever hope to make was five hundred dollars a year. And I just wonder sometimes if our sense of perspective gives us some grounding in God of how much we have. I read an article this week that would say mainstream America, you and I, would be considered in the world the top 1% of the richest of the rich. We think of the billionaires and trillionaires as the rich people, but the rest of the world looks upon you and I as the top 1% in the world. And I read this this week and I said, Lord, forgive me for complaining. Lord, forgive me sometimes for struggling because I have so much that you've given me. But sometimes as as your child, I get my eyes off of you and what you've given me and I struggle with what I don't have or what I wish I have or what I think I need. And James brings our heart to the fact that all I need is Jesus. All to him I surrender. All to him I freely give. And for that early church, if God was gonna do something great in them, this would be a message that they needed to hear and to follow and to absorb into their own life that is not about their, and we've been saying this for months now, it is not about their circumstances. And you can health, money, relationships, emotions, it can be any of those things. And all of those things affect us. I'm not saying that. But what James is saying, that you will never be grounded in God and truly joyful if you focus on your circumstances. What James is helping us to remember and to live by is this knowledge that we have an infinite God. who conquered the one force in this world that we can never conquer on our own, our own sin. Who sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we could have everlasting life. The greatest gift, salvation that could ever be given is freely ours if we were willing to accept it and live our life in the light of that gift that God has given. And I would be the first to say that sometimes as a Christian, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to complain. It's easy to get my feathers ruffled. It's easy just to forget the riches that I have in God. And so I remember that verse that Paul wrote to us, and he says, my prayer for you is that your eyes would be enlightened to the riches of the the grace of Christ that you have in Jesus. And it may just be that for the church sometimes in our world, The darkness of the world dims the light that Paul is praying that we would have. May the prayer of Paul be answered in your life and in mine. May the eyes of our hearts be opened to the richness that we have in Christ as we follow him each and every day. I hope that you've heard from him. I hope that you know him. I hope that when we read about this and we talk about knowing God and knowing his promises and knowing that he's close, that it is a personal knowledge because I cannot do that for you. I cannot do that in you. That has to be something that you do in your own walk privately, intimately with God as you follow him. Let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we live in a culture where all the, all the focus is on the outward. We are worthy because we're beautiful. We are worthy because we're handsome. We are worthy because of the car we drive or the house that we live in or the job that we have or the retirement account that we're a part of or the stocks we have invested in or whatever it is, Lord, that, that it might be. And, and they look on the outward as a sign of our value and worth. And Father, we can be proud and grateful and rejoice in the fact that none of that matters. We can be thankful if we have it and praise you for it, but we can be just as thankful and praise you if we don't have any of it. Because we serve a God who lives forever and who has the answers to the deepest needs of our heart and life. And Father, I pray for us, I don't think too many of us here this morning have the burden of being amazingly wealthy, Most of us, Lord, are on the other end of the spectrum somewhere where we're we're making ends meet. We're doing okay. The temptation is to think that we'd be better if we had more. And, Lord, I just pray that we would be better because we have more of you. So I pray, Lord, that you would just give us hearts that rejoice that we know you. Thankfulness, Lord, that we can sing to God, be the glory because of the great things he's done in our heart and life. And Father, we can keep on praising you for the great things that you will be doing as we follow you through our tomorrows. So Father, if we have little to be thankful for on the outside, we have so much more to be thankful for on the inside. And we pray, Lord, that our gratitude would blow up into the world around us and infect those that we live with with the sense that God is doing something in our life and he's real to us even in the hardest moments that we live in. And Father, would you flow through us, we pray, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May the Lord be with you.